Welcome to the Lead Me On podcast, where we give you practical solutions for extraordinary leadership. My name is Lori King-Taylor, and I'm here with my co-host, Lori Gorell. For more than 25 years, we've been educating and coaching individuals who want to transform the way they lead. Join us each week as we provide inspiring conversations to help you increase your capability to lead with greater impact and influence. Get ready. It's time to lead me on. Hello, Lori Gorell. Hello, Lori King-Taylor. How are you today? Well, I am a little down in the weather today, as we would say. Got the sniffles and the chest stuff going on. So just wanted to let my listeners know if you hear me croaking or (laughs) if you hear a little cough, come on, I'll try to mute if I can. But it's very possible that there'll be some coughing and there might be a little croaking as we go. (laughs) Way to keep it real for us. (laughs) You know, the show must go on, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not even taking like a a call off or anything. No, no. There's no such thing as sick days at Trinity (laughs) Performance Solution. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that actually goes really, really well with what we're going to talk about, because I think that it might be a carry over work ethic attitude from the traditionalist generation. Lori, did you just call me a traditionalist? (laughs) I said, carry over work ethic habit from that generation. You know, and, and I think you're right. I really, my grandparents and my parents are both very hardworking individuals. They weren't slackers. They weren't, you know, the individuals that, oh, I've got a cold or, oh, my allergies are bothering me. I think I'll stay in bed today. So I I think you're right. I think it is a carryover. And today, you know, we, we talked about generations in the workplace and how we have five generations now in the workplace, first time ever. And we kind of did a general overview in our last podcast. And today we're going to focus in on just talking about the traditionalist. And sometimes that's also referred to as the silent generation. And these are individuals that are born between 1927 and 1945. And we think they should be retired and out of the workforce, but that's not the case. Well, I'm thinking, you know, and maybe I would have thought that just looking at the numbers, but when I did the math, <laughs> the young end of that is only 77 years old. That's not that old it's in today's not. age. It's it, not. It really isn't. 70, you know, well, I was about to tell my parents' age, but we won't be doing that. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's not. When you look at how well people take care of themselves these days, advances in medicine, I see people of that generation that look quite young and are out and about and doing. My husband, he had people working with him at NASA that were in their 80s. And, you know, even though it seems old, it's really not. It's not. Not when you are up close and personal with people in this generation. And 
um, my mother-in-law, she was working until COVID hit. So she was mid eighties. Yeah. And it, it was keeping her very young and very engaged and learning new things and interacting with people on a regular basis. And there were so many benefits, but she honestly couldn't fathom not doing something. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for why people, when they get to that age, can't understand not working. And a lot of them have different reasons for that. So we have a good understanding of this generation. Let's talk a little bit about what are the events that shaped the lives of this generation? What what shaped who they are and, and what was their environment and their growing up like that caused them to have the characteristics that they have today? And that they are significant. The events are huge. If you think about this period of time, right, we're looking at, we'll start with the great depression. Yeah. Right. They were being raised during the great depression and they knew what it was like to preserve food and ration what they had. And this, the scrappy way of getting by. So they're starting with that. That was their youth. Yeah. And then you have the second world war. So, you know, there's the great depression. Now they go through a world war. And when you think about what the second world war was all about, and that's really hard to say <laughs> for some reason, world war is not coming out of my mouth <laughs> very easily. But when you think about all that occurred during that and how the effects that all of that had on them and how they think about things. Yes. And I remember my mom talking about, you know, the, the blackout curtains, right. And that almost that bit of a fear that they needed to live in that reminded them to pull the blackout curtains down, but that wasn't the only war during that period, there was also the Korean war. Yes. So they've, they've had all of this strife and negativity. If you want to look, I mean, you know, going through the depression and all the, the wars and, you know, back then how many of them went off to war, right? Because we were doing the draft back then. And so you had women who were without husbands because they all went out to the war and we're having to, and so many of them had never worked in the workforce before, but were either forced to, for one reason or another, or decided to try to give back to the country the best way they could. So they took over the jobs of the men who had to go off to war. And so it's just this whole dynamic that goes on with all of that. But think about that is like the dawn of women coming into the workforce on a more permanent basis, which I find very exciting. So very grateful. Thank you, Rosie. Yeah. Rosie Riveter for stepping in and stepping up, but they were also this age. They were the dawn of the space age. Yes, they were. It wasn't all negative. Yeah. Right. They saw some really exciting. They were at that beginning point 
of the space age. Yeah. So, in, you know, in my, in our audience probably knows by this point that my husband is a rocket scientist with NASA, but his dad was also a rocket scientist with NASA. So coming up, you know, his dad being a traditionalist, you know, he, he was the Apollo error. He, he did, you know, was a part of that sending man to the moon and what it took to break through those barriers and to come from where we were in the, with the depressions and the war and end up where we are the country that lands on the moon. And, and, and they're the ones that did that. And it shaped who they are and the qualities they brought to the workforce. If you think about how very, and I can never pronounce this, this word right, but everyone's going to know what I mean. Very hierarchical. All right. Yep. You know what I mean? That is the structure that they knew and that they still, those that are in the workforce still respond to. Yeah, that's, well, that's all they know, right? So growing up, it was very hierarchical. There were, there were, you know, you had your place and you reported to a manager and, you know, there was just this structure. It was very rigid. We laugh about, you know, the IBM blue you know, there was a uniform you wore to work and it was for men, it was a suit and a tie and a starched white shirt, kind of a, uh, a uniform that they wore and, and you punch the clock at eight o'clock and you didn't dare leave before five o'clock and you didn't take all these vacations. So they grew up in a very rigid type workplace, uh, with all of that, but they thrived in that. And that's, they still feel today, they respond best to those kind of workplaces. They do, they do. And it was, uh, I would say the, the leadership group, they a lot of professionalism. I think that's really where it comes from, right? Yeah. Is this era of being professional. What does it mean to be professional or require professionalism in your mannerisms and behaviors. Yeah. There was no such thing as casual Friday. (laughs) There was, I don't think any such thing as casual period. No, no. I mean, we, we eventually go to, okay, you can start being casual on Friday. Unfortunately, that's just gone all out. Everybody can just be casual all the time these days. But, but if you think about that generation, they weren't really all that casual on weekends. No, they were not. They wore slacks and shirts for the men and the women wore dresses. And yes. so it was a whole different game than all that they have seen as things have changed. Right. And, yes. Not loving that change so much. You know, some people are embracing it a a little better than others, but a very dear friend of mine has a relatively new boyfriend. I'm very excited for her. Her husband passed away and she has a new man in her life who is of this generation and he still wears suits almost everywhere. I don't think his legs have ever seen a pair of shorts. Isn't that something And we can't, it's really hard for us to imagine right now, but for them, it's hard to imagine our casualness. It is. That we approach our day-to-day life, not just our work life, but they are 
so committed. They, they found so much of their worth in their work, in the workplace. They identified with what they did that, that created their identity. So I think we're seeing a lot of them that are still in the workplace because that's how they identify. I am a worker. I work. I go to work. This is where I find my meaning. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of hobbies and, you know, now my, like my father-in-law played golf, but, you know, we have more opportunities in the workplace now where we have, you know, oh, we have golf tournaments and we have, the, you know, there's all these other opportunities for social and it wasn't so much at one part with their, it was literally all work. So they have a very hard time. And a lot of them will choose to stay in the workplace or they do what they think they're supposed to do and they retire because they're supposed to retire, right? Somebody's nagging them, their kids are telling them they need to retire and enjoy life. And my mother did this, she retired, but they don't stay retired very long because they are bored stiff and, you know, they need, it's time they got to go back. My mom went back into the workforce full time. She started out part-time and ended up back in full time and didn't retire until 76 years old because that's what they know. That's what they do. And now all of a sudden they're at home and it's like, what am I supposed to do with myself? Yeah. To, to totally shift their gears where, you know, if you contrast it to where the generations are going, And we'll talk about that in future podcasts, but they bring in more balance where this generation, that's all they know. So of course it feels completely foreign to go home and not have what they consider purpose. Right. And let's say they lose a spouse. So maybe they had a little purpose and they were doing things with their spouse and now they no longer have a spouse that, you know, kids have families of their own and they've gone off and, and they're just like, what am I supposed to do with myself? Yeah. And I would rather, you know, go back and have a purpose when I get up in the morning, you know, they really, every human wants to have a purpose for their life and that's where they can feel most useful. So in the workplace, those organizations that are fortunate enough to have traditionalists on their team, they bring so much history, organizational history, subject matter expertise, along with their work ethic, right? They, they have so many great qualities and characteristics that really round out an organization's team very nicely. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, well, we don't want to know about the old stuff, but, but to see where you are today and how, how to move forward, knowing the history is there's such a big part of that. And unfortunately, a lot of times, and I love how you said when organizations are fortunate enough to have these individuals, because if you are an organization with traditionalists in your workforce, you are extremely fortunate. But a lot of times we look at that as the, oh, we don't want that history, but there's so much that they have been through and, and so much they can offer on how to work through problems and the things that we've done before, not in this is how we've always done it, but looking at that and how that can help us in moving forward. Right. Well, and if you go back to the NASA analogy, right, with, you know, where it was Apollo, 
all of that was used and reused and repurposed and pieces, parts were used. The history was important. Oh, it was, you know, I, we are today. So history is relevant. It is. I chuckled when I first saw my husband was a flight director on the Aries program. And that was the one that right after the shuttle. And now we have SLS. And I kind of chuckled because you had Apollo and Apollo was this very tube like rocket, very, you know, it looked like a uh, paper towel holder, right? You know, this tall tube and then the capsule sat on top. And then we switched over to the shuttle that kind of looked more like the plane. Well, now we've gone back, you know, Aries and now SLS are back to that Apollo um, where it is a tall tube like thing. So it's like, okay, well, we have gone back. (laughs) So it was important. Yeah, evidently something that they were doing in those days. And so you're going to have organizations that when you can look back and they can bring that forward and say, hey, you know, this work, maybe we should consider this again. And, you know, along with all of the, the history that they bring and the subject matter expertise, their characteristics are really things that are important for a team and for demonstrating for future generations. I mean, they're very hardworking. Their work ethic is unmatched and they're so incredibly loyal. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are, if they are an employee in your organization, you get all of them, you know, they're not looking, they're not you know, job hopping, they don't have their resumes out there. They plan to stick with you as long as they're being treated well and things are going well, they're going to stick with you. And because of all that they've been through, they've got really strong willpower. So they don't run when the problems get tough. They really can kind of put their nose down and work through things and not give up so easily on projects. Yeah, they they know how to muscle through it for sure. They also respect authority. And I think that that is something good to model. And I think it's also good for them to see others having their own opinions and voicing them. So I think that's a a good two-way street, but they really do have a tremendous amount of respect for authority in that command and control type of situation. Yeah. Because they came through the great depression, they're that waste, not want, not generation. So thrifty. They're very thrifty, very frugal. So, you know, they're going to look at how you can reuse things and, and they're just not going to be one that are going to be quick to, to throw things out, which I think I would love to see more of in my own house um, with my teenage children. <laughs> I think a challenge, you know, if I, if I have to point to a challenge would probably be for many of them, their tech challenge. Some of them have embraced tech very well. And yet you're going to find more of a subset in the traditionalist silent generation than you are in, in the, the younger generations. And one myth that's out there, though, is that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, that they're not willing, they don't want to learn, they're kind of stubborn about. And that's not necessarily true. Um, if you look at, I think it is Travelers Insurance has this new program where they have found that their traditionalists in the workplace are actually embracing the training that they have put into place just for this generation. So they, they can be tech challenged, but don't write them off. Give them the opportunity to learn. 
Yes, I, I wholly believe that. And I think that's actually a motivation factor is giving them that opportunity to learn with specifically them in mind. Right, right. Take time to really develop them, to really build those skills that are necessary to help them kind of survive in today's workplace. Give them those opportunities and don't write them off. Right. And because they are loyal to you, I I think it's very beneficial for organizations to express their loyalty back. Yes. I think they, they find that to be very motivating. Now, when it comes to communication, this generation really does prefer face-to-face meetings. And if you can't have a face-to-face meeting, a phone call, they're less likely to embrace the chat talk and the text messages and, and they want a true face-to-face Zoom and Google Meet. All that stuff. I don't know half that stuff. Just, Just go talk to them. Yeah. Yes. They, they treasure that because that's how they've always communicated in the workplace is that face-to-face. Yes, absolutely. And, and this goes to something you and I talk about quite a bit, and that is adapting to our people, mm-hmm. not always expecting them to adapt to us. And I think that's really important for this generation in the workplaces for us to really be mindful because they give so much, like we need to give back. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, a wonderful opportunity with having this group in the workplace is um, mentoring. They would love to pass on their knowledge to the younger generation. So giving them the opportunities to mentor people in your workplace. Um, And then, you know, we'll talk a little bit later in further podcasts. There will be a lot of reverse mentoring that happen at the same time. But give them those opportunities. Don't just stick them off in a corner and think that they don't have anything to offer. Pair them up with that younger generation. It's good for both of them in, oh, in so many ways. And, and I love the, the program score, that it's typically retired people helping people oh, yeah. businesses too. But yeah, this generation has so much to offer in the way of mentorship. Yeah, they do. So Lori, do you think we're ready for some practical solutions when it comes to traditionalists? I do. And I I think there are so many, it's almost hard to narrow it down to three, but I would start with be really respectful of the older generation who are still working. They bring such vast knowledge and experience. Yeah. And, and just remember when you are communicating with this generation, face-to-face is the best way to communicate with them. If that's not available, pick up the phone. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And we'll round it out with offer the opportunity to mentor, just as you had just mentioned, that is to keep them motivated and to allow them to impart some of the wisdom that they've been collecting. Yeah. And just honor the fact that if you're an organization that has traditionalists in the workplace, you are a lucky organization. Embrace them. Absolutely. It was great to spend this time with you today, Lori King-Taylor, and I'll look forward to talking about our next generation, our big generation, the baby boomers. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Lori. See you then. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate a review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. 
If you're interested in knowing more about our upcoming events or working with one of us personally to transform the way you lead, visit our websites. For Lori King-Taylor, visit trinityperformancesolutions.com. And for Lori Gorell, visit upwardsolutionscc.com. Until next week.